Hi, welcome to In the Pacha, where I, Sam Reinstein, have conversations with different educators about the weekly Torah portion. This week for Parsha Mato Mase, I have Rabbanit Dasi Fruchter. Hi, Dasi. Hey, it's so good to be here. Yeah, um, thanks for coming on. Um, do you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, sure. So, uh, as as Rabbi Reinstein said, my name is Rabbanit Dasi Fruchter. I live in Potomac, Maryland, in the burbs of D.C., and I work at a large modern Orthodox shul called Beth Shalom on the clergy staff. And it's so great to connect with old friends and colleagues from Brooklyn, where I used to live. Hi, right. Rabbi. Yeah. Hi. We miss you. <laughs> yeah, we miss. I miss you too. <laughs> um, can you just for, can I know you're doing some cool things over there. Do you mind um, just like highlighting one or two of them maybe? Sure. Uh, well, no, no worries. Uh, I deeply believe that spiritual communities can be vibrant outside of the city in addition to in the suburbs, um, even though you might not think it's possible, it is. And so uh, one of the things that we're up to that um, I've really been um, just totally nourished by is uh, we have a Nigun collective, actually, cool. uh, where we meet regularly and share Nigunim um, and sit around uh, and just Davin together. It's pretty wonderful, actually. Um, there's the Nigun Collective. We also learn at a local suburban bar. Lots of fun. Um, <laughs> but just just always asking the questions of how can we keep growing in our Judaism here, no, ma no matter where we are, right? Um, no matter yeah. what stage of life we're in. And it's been wonderful. Cool. In the Nigun Collective, do you guys do mostly uh, like wordless songs or, or even... Just like slow, slow shirah kind of thing. Yeah, so a little, a little bit of both. Um, we have a Facebook group where we share nigunim between us. Uh, we can actually, you want to sing right now? No, right now? No? Okay. <laughs> uh, but but um, it's, it's, it's a collective. So folks offer nigunim that they've written um, or just songs that they really love. And as long as the words are available or understandable, um, we, we sing once with words as well. Cool. That's awesome. Uh, so I'm we're gonna only be using words here because this is audio, um, <laughs> and um, um, so I'm gonna go into a summary of parsha Mato Mase. Um, I'm, we're doing the double parsha, even though both of our um, conversations are going to be in Mato, uh, because this is going to be a double parsha for the next three years, anyways. Uh, so I guess people can deal with that problem four years from now, um, separating them out. <laughs> but at least for now, at least for now, they'll do that. Okay. The Parsha begins with the laws of the annulments of vows. Moshe then instructs B'nai Israel to go fight Midan because of what they just did to B'nai Israel and Parsha Balak. They fight and win. The Torah goes at length of an accounting of the spoils and what went to whom. Reuven God uh, go to Moshe and ask to stay on the other side of the Jordan for they have a lot of cattle. Moshe is angered but eventually decides it's fine as long as they lead the battle into the land first and then come back. 42 is the answer to everything, but it's also the answer to the amount of encampments that are then listed that B'nai Israel have stayed in for the last 40 years. The boundaries of the promised land are given, and the cities of exile where the inadvertent murderers can flee are designated. The Parsha ends describing how the daughters of Slavgad married within their tribe of Menashe, so the land of the family stayed with them and in the tribe. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, it made it a little easier considering like half of Parshat Masse is like all one sentence. 
Um, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure we could go in depth into like why those why those names are chosen and like, but um, but neither of us are doing that today. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. That was a rocking summary. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, so I'd love to hear um, some thoughts you have on the Parsha. Thank you. I, you know, I love a good end of Sefer Parsha, you know, uh, or double Parsha as it were. It's kind of like all the themes come to a head. You really begin to think about what was this book really about? What was Bamidbar really about? And um, I love that. And plus, it's so exciting to get to the end. Um, yeah. and say chazak, chazak, when it's chazak. I love that. It's my favorite part of Shul. Um, and we can so, do that at the end of this podcast. Can we? I think yeah, we should. Sure. Okay. All right. Let's not forget. Um, so I feel like I've been taking stock as I learned this Parsha of what, what's Bamidbar really about? Um, and I think it, a lot of it is about Moshe Rabbeinu's leadership, right? And how he, he shows up as a leader, both in all of his uh, strengths and, and all of the ways in which his siblings make up for the strength that he doesn't have. Um, and there's just a detail at the very beginning of Parsh, Parshas Matos that struck me. And it's when he uh, he's told by Hashem to uh, wage war against Midian. Uh, it says, So go, go avenge the Israelites uh, on the Midianites. And then what will happen? You're going to die. You're going to be gathered into your nation. Um, and the, the Sifri comments, and Rashi brings this, uh, that even though Hashem doesn't specify like when Moshe should wage this war, Moshe does not delay. Hmm. And I was so struck by this because, right. you know, if it were me, and, you know, I, I always like to imagine that I'm taking lessons of leadership from Moshe Rabbeinu. We, um, us, us, us types of people who are making podcasts, et cetera, are always thinking about, <laughs> you know, what leadership really means. Yeah, and for sure. yeah, if someone said to me, you know, do this thing and then everything's going to be over and then you're going to die. Like, I don't know how quickly I would go to do that thing. You know what mm. I mean? Does that make sense right. to you? Yeah. Um, it's interesting, especially because, I mean, I'm thinking that's a, I think there's a different Midrash about Yoshua where Yoshua does the opposite, where they complain to Yoshua that Yoshua is taking too long um, to finish because then he knows his life will be over. And clearly you see Moshe not doing that here. Exactly. And in the Midrash about Yoshua, he's, you know, according, according to the Midrash, he, Hashem cuts his life 10 years short because of that, because he does, he does delay. Um, so it got me thinking about, you know, how often uh, do we do things for our personal gain and how often do we do things for the benefit of the world or for someone else or for Avodah Hashem for serving God? Um, and it's okay if the answer is for personal gain or to stay alive for longer or whatever it is. But it just made me think about how often are we honest about it? You know, how often are we really like, cause, cause Rabbi, so Moshe could have easily said the people need me. Right. The people need me for another X number of years. You know, Yeshua was just appointed. They're still a young nation. Um, you know, let me just have some more time with them so I can keep training them. Right. I have right. the best of intentions, but he doesn't even do that. You know? Yeah. Like at all. At all. Just goes. Right. Oh. Almost with a sense of urgency to do this. Yeah. Thing. So I, I, I'm just thinking that Moshe could have really uh, like rationalized and, uh, 
really even convinced himself that his that the people's interests were in mind, not his own, that he should stay alive for that reason. Um, but actually, that doesn't even happen, right? right? It's it's just there's no delay at all, as opposed to with Yehoshua, where there is um, a delay, right? Yeah. He wants to stay mm-hmm. in it, stay in this world. And that's so tempting. Um, and I'm not saying that the lesson we should learn is that you should never attend to your personal needs, right? <laughs> but I do think the lesson, for me at least, is how often do I try and convince myself uh, that what I'm doing is for the sake of someone else um, when really it's just so I can stay alive for a little longer or, um, you know, get, get a little more or gain a little more for my own personal life or gain. Right. Um, and, it, and sometimes I, I mean, here, at least Moshe's told to do something. And even though he could have, like, it's even harder, I would say, for like, anyone else, right? Anyone else that isn't getting a direct from God, um, you know, how to try and do that. Because like, I don't know, we don't even know really what's good for other people necessarily. That's a great point. Like Moshe at least had the benefit of hearing God's very clear voice, right? Around right. what he should do. And uh, But then again, then again, he's not told when, right? Um, right. Right, true. I don't know. So that's something that's that's on my mind, um, and uh, I admire that about Moshe's leadership. And I think he consistently displays a sense of anava, humility, not in um, making himself tiny to the point of disappearance, but in understanding that he's not the center of everything. Right, that there are things right. that happen that are outside of him. And actually that's one of the most beautiful interpretations of humility there are, there are right? That you are, um, you're not at the center. There is a life after you, there is a life before you and Hashem is controlling it all, right? Um, so I'm, I'm inspired by that. Um, right. And if anyone had like a reason to think he was at the center, um, like in this story, Moshe really feels like he's at the center. So, um, yeah, and he, he doesn't have that at all. So can I ask you a question, actually? Yeah, go ahead. So, you know, whenever I'm learning Parsha and trying to apply it to my own life, I, I often think of these, like, big sweeping, um, this, is, this is fun because you and I write Drashot, right? We write right. sermons. But, um, I, you know, like, these big lessons from life. Do you think this kind of lesson would apply to something like, the decision to watch another episode on Netflix, you know, like would it apply to the, like this idea about why am I doing something? Um, am I doing it for personal gain or doing it for something else? Is this only an idea that applies kind of from this bird's eye view, big idea, uh, point of view, life, life, uh, taking stock of your life kind of place, or can it apply like in your everyday life? Right. I mean, I, I, I mean, uh, usually if things can apply, <laughs> In general sweeping, I would say they can apply in specifics also. But I'm curious to hear what you mean by, because like I think generally when people are watching Netflix, they're not, they don't have illusions that they're doing it for somebody else, right? Like okay, okay, that's just me then, because like I watch feminism right. documentaries. So. Okay, <laughs> so your thought, your thought is you're trying to become a better person so that you can, um, like affect change. Right. It's like reading your favorite nonfiction, 
right? Um, or something like that. Um, but I guess that's true sometimes. Sometimes you do need to do that in order to grow and thrive. But at the same time, I think for me, this lesson is really asking myself, is that really why? You know, <laughs> is that really why today I'm doing that? Right. Um, I mean, I do think about, I mean, I've spoken about this before, but I think I think about that. Um, it's interesting. Just it's all personal though in that way. When, when I'm like watching something, when I'm watching something on TV, like, am I just watching it just cause it's fun or am I watching it? Cause I really feel like I get a better sense of how people work and how, uh, you know, uh, like how the world works and how, how people react to each other. Um, I like to think that it's more the, the latter, but I'll be honest, sometimes it's certainly more the former. Um, but you, what you're talking about is a much higher plane than either of those, I think. Uh, is saying like, no, it's not even just for me to be a better person. It's like, it's actively, like even thinking like maybe it should be actively um, externalized. Hmm. Well, I think what you just did actually is what I'm aspiring to, which is to say, you know, there's a secondary goal, but really the former goal is that I had a really hard day, right? right. And that to me is the lesson um, of leadership in Bamidbar. Mm. It's like figuring out like, what are you doing? How to be honest about it? Um, and making sure that it's, it's all somehow in service of your uh, holistic approach to making the world a better place. I don't know. Thanks right. for engaging with me in a Netflix discussion. That yeah. was a little yeah. nerdy. <laughs> That's okay. That actually happens more than you'd think. Really? Um, yeah, I somehow became like a TV rabbi a little bit. Oh, um, right. Yeah, that, that became a thing. Um, <laughs> so um, any any thoughts as how maybe this relates to Safer Bamidbar or maybe other parts of the Parsha? Sure, yeah. Well, something I'm thinking about uh, is actually what I think you're going to discuss, which yeah. are uh, the demands of or the request of the two tribes to stay east of the Jordan um, and Moshe's reaction to that. Um, something that I always found striking in the way they ask is they ask um, for, before cities for their children, they ask for places for their cattle, right? And the, the Midrash comments on this and they say, uh, you know, Moshe says, you're, you're totally putting your priorities in the wrong place guys, you know, like I, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to do. And I would love for you to talk about this a little bit more. Um, you're putting your cattle, your material wealth before your literal children. How can that be the case? Um, and the reason I think it connects to what I was saying before is that they don't get up and make their request by saying, Hey, so Moshe, um, we'd like to put our wealth before our children. So this is what we're going <laughs> to request. No, they actually, it just slips out. It slips out. Yeah. They, they, they say something in the wrong order and Moshe picks up on it, according to the Midrash. So I, I just share that because I think when, when we have a motivation for something and we're not honest about it, often it does come across to the people we're talking to and they can sometimes challenge us on it. And Moshe right. does. He switches the order back around um, in, in his response to them. So that's just something I was thinking about. Um, and uh, the fact that they were not authentic really was clear um, right. at the end of the and, and that might even be part of why Moshe is so angry at them. Not even because mm -hmm. of what they're asking for, but they're not even really being like honest about it. 
Uh, oh my gosh. That's, I don't, I, it's my experience also with fundraising sometimes. Right. Like when I was starting to fundraise, the worst thing to do was to pretend you're not fundraising. Right. You know, um, that's absolutely right. It's like, why are you hiding this from me? You know, just come out with it. Be honest. Um, yeah. Cool. Huh. I'm like trying to think. I, I like wonder if on some level that relates to some other things. Like it relates to Korach, I think, um, where Korach is like oh. arguing that Moshe and Aaron should have, um, can't take all the leadership to themselves. Um, but I think at least there's some underpinning where he's not really being truthful. Like really it's, he wants power for himself and it's not, he's not quite being honest. Yeah. Right. Like right. he's taking to himself for himself. Absolutely. That's cool. Okay. cool. Any place else that happens? Um, I mean, I wonder, I wonder if, I mean, I, I think I remember seeing this somewhere about the, about the Miraglim as well. Um, that part of the reason they didn't want to go into the land is because they had their, their, they were powerful in the Midbar. They were nervous that if they went into the land, they would no longer be these important people. Um, and they obviously don't say that when they come back, right? They, they say like that they should be scared of, you know, all, all the things, um, that they should be scared of going to land. But I mean, assuming that's their actual motivation, then they're not really being honest either. Hmm. Um, yeah. That's really interesting. Know. So what were you say? thinking about when it okay. comes to Ruben? Yeah. yeah. So um, that gives me something to think about, but um, moving forward. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to share something that um, we talked a lot about in Camp Stone, um, which is a, um, a B'nai Akiva, my Orthodox camp um, that I went to as a counselor um, and did Machal and was in the Beit Midrash and did a bunch of things. Um, and it's something that we talked about um, with the older kids um, is actually this topic of Ruben, God, and Chatzim Menashe, uh, or Ruben and God, because they come and they say, we don't want to go in. We're going to stay back here. Um, and as you noted, they're even probably for material gain. And they say, um, we're going to stay back. And Moshe says, no, you can keep stay on the other side of the river, which personally I would even think is surprising because you wouldn't have expected them to do that. But Moshe says, no, you have to go first. Like you're allowed to come back as long as you like lead the nation into battle. And as you were reading through that, did you notice a word coming up a lot? Hmm. There's like a, there's like a word that comes up a ton in this. Uh, no, in this tell paragraph. me. I know that's uh, that's a tall order, but um, the word comes up eight times in this one par- in this one story of chalutz or chalutzim or chalutzei, um, which JPS translates as armed, so they should go armed for war. Um, but generally, that idea is meant to be a little broader than that. That they should like lead, they should be in front, they should be armed at the front lines. And, and Reuben and God really do this. And you see it in Sefer Yoshua in the book of Joshua um, as they're fighting the battles. Like you really see them going on the front lines. They're fighting every battle. And then they only come back later. And then they say, okay, now we can take care of ourselves. Um, and they do that. Um, mm. So this idea, um, this idea was taken to be an important thing in Israeli history. Um, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about here. Um, but um, 
this was taken from Joseph Trumpledore, um, oh. who sounds like Dumbledore, but, but is not, um, is like one of these very famous um, early Zionists. Um, and he has a quote um, that I'd like to share for a minute. Um, I'm not going to say the whole quote because it's like a full paragraph, but I'll do part of it. Um, so he's trying to explain like the, uh, like the attitudes Israelis should have coming in, starting this new nation. So what is a chalutz? Is he a worker only? No, this definition includes much more. Do you need a wheel? Here I am. A nail, a screw, a block? Here, take me. You need a man to till the soil? I'm ready. A soldier? A soldier? Soldier? I am here. Policeman, doctor, lawyer, artist, teacher, water carrier? Here I am. Uh, I have no form. I have no psychology. I am a servant of Zion, ready to do everything, not bound to do anything. I have only one aim, creation. And I think on some level, they take this idea from Ruven Ganachatzi Menashe and make it like this really like almost inspirational idea of like how people should behave, um, like that they should be, um, have this attitude of um, giving to the community of, uh, of like not, I don't on some level, it's actually a similar idea as what you were talking about, um, is like having the attitude that their goal is to be, be the wheel as part of like, as part of the gears that grind the Jewish people mm. and, um, and not just think about themselves and think about what they want to be or what they aspire to be. Um, it's very like anti-modern. <laughs> I love that idea. Wow. It's really powerful. And important, yeah. important for us to hear, I think. Um, but I think, I think especially just because like there's such a focus on individuality and perhaps there, there should be. Um, but like this really is like, right, Moshe is asking them to like leave their families and like forget about their tribe. And you're no longer fighting for your tribe anymore. You know, you're fighting for the Jewish people. Wow. Whatever. That's really powerful. It's so... And, yeah. and no, how do you know, right? Like, you know, where, how, what call to heed? It's like the same question in some ways, but right. um, like who, to, like what parts of yourself to, to quiet or to make small in order to fulfill any particular goal. Right. And I think, because uh, I was thinking about that actually um, with this, because I actually think they over, like this, reading of Chalutzim, of being armed, of being, of being at the forefront, is very much over-exaggerated um, in how it's used in Israeli culture. Because here, right, they still get to go back and they still get their own land, right? It's a great point. They don't, they don't completely just give up everything. <laughs> it's like not, they don't, they don't have no psychology. Uh, uh, yeah, they're, not, they're, they're not just a servant, right? They do go back for their cattle, Right, as you pointed out, right? Like they really do, and in the end of the day, make money off of this. Uh, so huh. it's like, even though it's kind of used to this extreme, I, th I think on some level, there's something here for somebody that wants to be like a more individualized is that balance you were talking about uh, or you were questioning, like this uh, where, where, where should I be the wheel and where should I be like, no, my cattle it will do better over here, you know? And like finding that. It's so interesting. What, what, do you know about the the origin of the word chalatz or chalatz or that root biblically? I, I mean, I think it's just here. Um, 
I, I, because I, it's not chalutzim is chalutzai is not usually the word for armed. Um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking out what it is. Lechamushim is is much more, um, is much more like what what it is like when they leave Egypt. It says they left Bachamushim, and it's. I mean, the midrash goes and says that four fifths of the people died in the in the plague of um, of of darkness. But like the textual like shot level, just what the text says, it's that no, they left with arms. They left with so like um, you know with swords and knives and things like that. Um, and this is a much more different. And that's why I think there's this um, trend to not just translate it as like having, uh, like being a soldier, but like being a soldier on the front lines, like like really going out and going forth. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Going out and going forth, like leaving something behind. Like leaving somebody something behind and like being at the front lines, even if it, even if that's not good for you, yeah. you know, like, and because that's what B'nai Israel need, um, but, uh, but Reuven and God don't need that at all. Yeah. And, you know, like for me, like this is a pretty violent Parsha. The beginning of the Parsha is pretty violent. Um, and yeah. that's actually really a, a cool and interesting frame for what war is, you know, at least like towards the end to kind of say that there's a bigger purpose that's, um, I don't know, beyond the knife <laughs> or the weapon, right? right? There's some sort of spiritual mission there. I know that's like a super complicated thing to say, but. Um, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that makes, uh, like, I mean, here specifically, right? It's not even, because why, why can't Yehuda be on the front lines? Like, right. I think on some level, Moshe probably puts them as the, these Chalutzin to be at the forefront. Um, largely because, like, if they're going to fight, how can everyone not follow them um, and and be like, this is a spiritual mission of of the Jewish people having the land of Israel specifically um, that isn't just about, like, who's the best fighters? Because I don't know if Reuven and God were. Um, I, I have no reason to believe so. Um, but, but, you know, they still go to the front. Wow. Lots of, I feel like if we look deeply enough, there's so many good lessons also for the three weeks and the nine days, you know, coming up. Mm. Uh, it's hard to imagine that these parshiot would somehow inspire self-reflection, but I think they do, right? Um, when you're yeah. thinking about what did, what, what did I do? Like, what was my contribution in the destruction? That's like how you have to ask the question in order to really feel this period of time. And I don't know, it's kind of a, an interesting thing to look into the Parsha to try and find those, find those uh, areas for, for reflection, you know. Right. Huh. I wasn't even thinking of it in that context, but it makes sense, especially here, because like these Parsha always are at this time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's like right before, right after, but like um, it's always around this. Uh, so uh, assuming you give some spiritual significance to the calendar, um there's clearly something going on yeah totally and and also just like being in the wilderness right um it always and i love that we're we're like closing our time in the wilderness right now um and we're not up to tish above yet and we haven't done it we haven't entered into the uh seven half of consolation we're not there yet but there is something really important about like closing a chapter and starting a new one um 
Amazing. Yeah. So on that note, um, we're closing a chapter. This has been exciting because this is, um, we've done, I started at the beginning, Baminbar was my first Parsha. Uh-huh. So this is our first um, end of book. Um, so I guess we can, we, we can say together. Um, which is for people that don't know, um, traditionally said, um, like, be strong, be strong, and continue being strong. Um, something um, we say in synagogue um, to end the book, um, which we just did. Um, so, Dasi, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a pleasure to reconnect in this way. Yeah. And, um, and for those listening, um, pay attention for Parsha.